I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. We are all united in the desire for our children to be happy, particularly in their own bodies. New parents remember their baby's first cry, demonstrating their lung function rather than how long their legs were. But as our children grow older, the onus often changes from how our bodies work to what they look like. Research shows that children as young as five are talking about the need to go on a diet and that over half of 11 to 16 year olds regularly worry about the way they look. My guest today feels this has to change. Molly Forbes is a campaigner, journalist, and mother of two girls. She believes that helping children feel good about their body, as it is right now, is a life skill, one that will stand them in good stead for the rest of their lives. Molly, thank you so much for joining me today. And um, hooray, I think that's such great sentiment. And it's so good that we're sort of increasingly having this uh, conversation. But let's get back to sort of body positivity. Just tell me why, why it's so important. Did you feel that with your having as a mother of two girls that there was sort of more onus on their bodies being a certain shape rather than if you'd had boys? I think it starts from day one. And I think looking back, I remember when I was pregnant and I didn't I didn't know the the gender of the child that I was carrying. Um, But I remember people already right you know, at that point, the first question is, are you going to find out, you know, what, what is it? What, 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 what the sex is? And no, you know, people saying, oh, is it going to be team pink or, t- or team blue? And the assumptions that were then made. Uh, and then when I had a girl, people buying like frilly outfits that were all about making the baby look pretty, even like this newborn baby that is just this tiny little perfect human, you know, the girls were getting like little headbands and, and, you know, frilly kind of outfits and at that point I think I started to notice you know going into even baby shops and noticing that the differences in the types of clothes for the boys it was very practical and it was often you know pictures of dinosaurs or lions on them and for the girls it was all about kind of nurturing fluffy bunny rabbits and frilly and not necessarily about being comfortable or practical but definitely about the way that they looked um, and those gender stereotypes like start right from day one. And really, it was only when I sat down to write the book that I started to piece all of this stuff together and go right back to the beginning and realise how those things also impact how children feel about their body. And they don't just impact how girls feel about their body, but they impact how boys feel about their body too, because boys are taught that they need to be strong and tough. And what do strong, tough bodies look like? They've got big muscles and, you know, they look a certain way. 
Um, and it's still, again, just reinforcing that message that you have to look a certain way in order to live up to, you know, this this ideal, this ideal kind of person. Absolutely. So, yeah, it, I think it does start right from the beginning. And actually, <laughs> even school uniforms, I was thinking that you know, my children go to the same school um, and there's girls' uniforms and boys' uniforms, but... Um, they're pretty relaxed about it. And with the PE kit, the boys have these kind of sports shorts, which kind of are just above the knee and quite loose. And their their kind of tops have sort of, you know, sleeves that quite baggy that go down sort of mid arm, you know, just above the elbow. Whereas the girls PE kit is this like skorts that is barely bottom grazing and much more fitted t-shirts with much shorter sleeves. And I just thought, you know, this is an age where hopefully, my daughter's nine, they're, they're really unaware, as they should be, about their body. But it's a much more sexualized uniform. And I don't think anyone was th- thought specifically, let's sexualize these young girls. But, you know, I was buying some uniform for my daughter and I was like, do you know what? She's going to be much happier in the boys' uniform. So that's what she wears. Um, and it does seem a bit weird that even with uniform, there's this subconscious, I think, bias to make girls kind of look a bit sexier, which mm. actually, if you think about it, when they're nine in primary school, is just so disturbing. Yeah, absolutely. There's when I was researching the book and I wrote that there's a whole chapter, the last chapter is all about fashion. And I wasn't going to even talk about fashion. And my editor was like, you, we need to include something about fashion, obviously. So I started researching it and I interviewed a few different people. And I started to look at the way that the sizings, the clothes sizings are worked out. And I looked at, I can't remember how many, I think about five of different like big main kind of high street brands. And I noticed that the sizing, when the children get to a certain age, the sizing is different. So boys' clothes are often made to be um, bigger. So they're often made in kind of like just the the gendered way that the clothes are made, the way that they're cut for girls and boys is often different. And this is the case for like all clothes, not just uniform, but all clothes. But also the way that the clothes are actually made, the boys' sizes when they get to kind of nine, ten years old, they have more, but they're bigger. But actually, when you look at the average height and weight growth charts for children around that age, girls are often naturally heavier and taller than boys at that age because girls tend to go through puberty a couple of years earlier than boys do. So actually at the very age when girls are starting to feel body conscious and be aware that their bodies are changing, they are being squeezed into clothes that are often too tight or they are very, you know, kind of cut in a certain way to show off the way their body is shaped. And that is damaging because not only, I mean, when you're a grown person and you're told that, you know, the perfect size to be is, I don't know, a size 10 or whatever, that's one thing because you can kind of tell yourself it's just an arbitrary dress size. But when you're a child and you're told that this is age nine, these clothes are for age nine, you're nine years old. And if you don't fit these clothes, you're not fitting the age that you should be. Your body is wrong that can be really harmful. That can be really damaging. And so even just the way that our clothes, our kids' clothes are made can impact how they feel about their bodies. And when I was sort of like researching this and trying to speak to different people, no one could tell me why that was. No one could tell me that, like the reason for it. That um, boys and girls' clothes are cut differently. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot about the kind of clothes. In them. It's all probably more about selling clothes, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So what exactly do you mean by body positivity? So, I mean, body positivity is a 
it's a political movement really to kind of reclaim marginalised bodies. So when I talk about, I think it's important to distinguish between body positivity and positive body image. And I'm on board with both of those things. Um, for me, it's about celebrating that all bodies are good bodies. And regardless of what your body looks like, it doesn't give us any indication of your worth or value as a human being. Um, and not just that, but also regardless of how your body functions, you know, it doesn't give us any any kind of indication of of what type of person you are, um, how important you are, how successful you are. And it's completely taking away like the morality and the judgment that often comes that we often make because we are all human beings and we all have biases because that's what we are as humans. Um, and it's just kind of taking a step back from that. Um, and I think with children, that's more important than ever because their bodies are growing. We want to teach them to appreciate their body. Their bodies aren't always going to fit up to whatever the ideal of the moment is. And the ideal is always changing. You know, if you think about, you know, 20 years ago, when I was a teenager, the perfect body that I was often presented with was very different to kind of the perfect body now. Um, and I think that it's also about giving children an appreciation of what their body can do and um, how their body functions and all the just how it allows them to live their life rather than being focused on how it looks, allowing them to stay in that kind of that that innocence that we have we have as no child I think the the first chapter of my book is like we're not born hating our bodies we are not born hate we, we're born living in the experience of our bodies knowing when we're hungry when we're full like we, we we have all these moments we play and we're not outside of ourselves looking and imagining what we look like from the outside but that gradually gets taken away from us as we get older and unfortunately it's happening children are losing that at a younger and younger age and what do you think is taking that away because I think you know they we we emerge taking our bodies for granted and you know certainly what I've done with my children is like don't take the fact that you can run and walk and do a cartwheel for granted because actually the fact that you function I think it's a miracle I think that a cluster of cells in my uterus can turn into an independently living child is just the most amazing thing in the world and it's something I absolutely don't take for granted but what do you think is you know, uh, um, is influencing children to be more aware of how they f other people feel they should be looking nowadays? I don't think it's one thing. I think it's an amalgamation of lots of different things. So I think it's the language that the trusted adults around them use when they're talking about bodies, about health, about, you know, other people's bodies, about celebrities, about diets, about um, the way that we kind of frame what being healthy is. But I also think it's some of the messages that they're getting um, at school sometimes. And I want to make it really clear, like these are inadvertently, like it's no one's setting out to make children question their bodies or feel bad, but it's such an ingrained thing. We're kind of not questioning it. It's also, you know, I think social media definitely has a part to play. 
it's not as simple as just blaming social media because, you know, three-year-old, five-year-olds aren't necessarily, they're not on Instagram, you know, they're not comparing their bodies at that age. But but they are, they are very <clears throat> aware of their image because we've got mm. blimmin' cameras in, in our lives the whole time. Yeah. You know, my daughter just loves doing little videos and, and, you know, if I think about the amount of photos she can take of herself compared to the amount of photos I could take of myself 30 years ago, it's, it's a huge time more and I'm sure that you know even on zoom I'm sitting here looking at you trying not to mm-hmm. look at me with that little image of me in the corner that I find so distracting and I, I yep. hate it um and I wonder whether a year of looking you know being taught over zoom has made them even more aware of you know that might be their face but then there's the body as well it's their image it's how they look how they present exactly 100% I mean that's that's it I I when I started writing the book, it was just a few weeks into the first lockdown. And, you know, a year on, I think I would, I mean, I do mention the impact of Zoom. Even Zoom has a beautifying filter you can set. You know, my husband's I'm totally a unaware of this. Yeah. My husband's <laughs> Tell me <a> about it. <laughs> when he was teaching his lessons, he noticed that by the end of the, the most recent lockdown, a lot of the teenagers um, in his classes weren't turning their cameras on. And when the teachers were trying to get to the bottom of it, because they found it really distracting to teach essentially like a, a blank wall of no faces, the kids were saying they low self-esteem they don't want to look at themselves you know and I said well obviously because it's self-objectification isn't it even the way that um when um bathrooms started becoming introduced into homes we started having mirrors in the homes and that changed the way that we looked at ourselves we had we were allowed to we could see ourselves way more often than we ever would have been able to before and now it's like times by a million because we've got selfies and camera phones and even the way that we have our phones and we hold them up and I mean if you're on holiday and you're in this amazingly beautiful place the instinct is to take a photo of yourself in the place rather than just you know this beautiful view um so yeah that definitely plays a part I think also you know media the way that the 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 way that um, characters are depicted in cartoons, goodies and baddies, and there's often not a huge amount of diversity in terms of body body shapes and sizes. Although um, it is better than, you know, I remember growing up and every single cartoon girl was a white girl with a size zero figure. Um, and, you know, Barbie, there was one skin colour, one body type. And at least now it's a, it is a little more realistic. And I, I think us as parents, we are more aware. And I've, my mother, you know, she described some of the conversations she had with her mother about, no, you're getting a bit pudgy, you mustn't do this. And you know, she was once told, no one's going to marry you for your body. And, you know, I think parents are much more aware of how damaging these remarks can be. And yet we still have a problem that seems to be escalating. Mm. I think that the biggest I think the biggest problem that we have now is that so much of the media headlines and and the public health advice is around the quote unquote obesity epidemic and we are really concerned about the impact of more and more of a population living at a higher weight. And so what that is having is it's really framing the way that we discuss health and we're not impacting the way that weight stigma and poor body image can then impact our health as well as all the other things that are kind of outside of our control and that is informing a lot of the way that we are teaching children about healthy eating in schools for example the way that we're framing movement um 
And I think that there's a disconnect there. So on the one hand, we are aware of the impact, the damaging impact of like harmful beauty ideals, but we're not necessarily recognising that how we discuss health is feeding into some of those beauty ideals and you can't kind of separate them. It's still creating a body ideal um, that is telling us that one type of body is good and one type of body is bad. And I would say that's probably also part of the problem as well as all of the other stuff as well. And we definitely can't ignore that um, in this conversation. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is a body that is more unhealthy. You know, for people who are obese, that is having an impact on you know, internally on the function of their liver, of their lungs. We know that there's an impact with life expectancy. So is there not an argument that, well, we shouldn't be prejudiced against these people and we shouldn't judge them as a result of their weight, that we do need to, you know, let children know that it is not a good idea to eat lots and it's not a good idea to be obese because it will have an impact on your, on your long-term health? Well, what we know is is that a lot of the research around weight and health, um, it's not factoring in everything into the conversation. So we know that we know that the process of weight cycling, so going on and off a diet and losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight, is independently really bad for health. There's a lot of research to show that. We also know that weight stigma, you know, being discriminated against because of the shape of our body is also independently really bad for health. But unfortunately, a lot of the research that investigates the impact of being higher weight on our kind of overall health doesn't account for those two things. So we know that there's a correlation, but there's a difference between correlation and causation. But even if we do believe that there is a cause, what we also know is that if we feel bad about our body, we're not going to treat our body in a positive way. So even if you're wedded to the idea that actually being higher weight is really bad for you. And the only way to kind of feel better is is to, you know, not be higher weight anymore. Actually, 
if you don't like something, you're not going to treat it in a positive way. If children are taught at a really young age that their body is wrong because their body doesn't fit what they believe healthy to look like, they're actually, the research shows, they're less likely to take part in PE. They're less likely to do sports. They're more likely to eat in a way that doesn't feel good. Um, And that's before we even factor in any of these huge things that impact health like socioeconomic impact you know um the socioeconomic impact of like where a child lives you know their access to nutrient dense food their access to safe green spaces to play and run around in whether their parents have the resources to take them to after school clubs and all of that kind of stuff so actually i think it is a really kind of nuanced multi-layered conversation but ultimately whatever perspective you're coming at this from if you are aware that children who feel good about their body whatever their body looks like are more likely to treat their body in a positive way that will hopefully help to persuade you that positive body image and teaching children that all good all bodies are good bodies is the way to go with this and then what we'll have is more children feeling included and able to take part in sports and you know, it's those health behaviours that we really, really want to focus on getting more children to feel involved in movement and able to take part in, you know, exercise. If we make them think that they can only do that to change their body or that only some types of body are allowed to do that, we're immediately discluding all of those kids. And if the overall aim is to allow children to engage in health promoting behaviours and look after their health, then we need to we need to make all children feel able to you know do those things and posi- having a positive body image is really the foundation and the key for so much of this stuff mm-hmm. i mean i i'm very convincing and and actually i sort of reflecting on you know my outlook i didn't realize until i picked up your book that i do have a very negative you know not not that i would ever sort of talk about weight in front of my children but there is especially i think post covid where you know obesity was a big factor in terms of risk that there's a slight there is slight judgment when you see someone who is obese and you're not taking into account the many other facets of their life that will be um, contributing to that. So, um, Molly, I'm really interested in how we do this. How do we raise body positive children? What might we be doing that we think is totally fine, that actually is impacting the way that our children not only look at their bodies, but look at other people's bodies? So I think just being really mindful of the language that we're using when we're talking not just about other people's bodies, but our own bodies and the way that we're role modelling positive body image in front of our children. This isn't to say that you have to have a really, really positive relationship with your body because so many of us don't. And particularly at the moment, you just mentioned um, COVID and the impact of lockdown. That has had a huge impact on how we feel. And we are being bombarded at the moment, particularly with loads of adverts for diets and, you know, told, you know, that we need to lose weight, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a real focus on um, restriction. So I think it's really important to know that you don't have to necessarily feel like, you know, Beyonce in order to raise kids who have a positive body image. But just being really mindful of maybe not sharing some of the negative language, not talking in front of your children about needing to go on a diet, not talking about good and bad food or being naughty or having a treat, just being really neutral, you know, and also having some kind of boundaries around body chat 
you know, in front of your children with other people. So if you've got a friend who you know is going to have a really strong opinion about that celebrity's weight loss last week, whatever, and you're meeting up with them for a walk, socially distance walk, and your kids are going to be in earshot, maybe think about how you might manage that conversation, you know? And even if you don't feel able to set a boundary in front of your children, like prepare your children before and just say like, this is likely to come up in conversation. You might hear some stuff. It's not what I believe. It's not what we have to believe or have a conversation with them afterwards. Um, And you can use that, you know, it's the same with, with extended family because this stuff is so ingrained and weight bias is deeply ingrained in our psyche. You know, it's, it's, it's in, it's everywhere. Diet culture is everywhere. Body ideals are everywhere. You, no matter how much resilience we build in our kids at home and how positive we are at home, and that is important. But our children are going to get these messages at some point. They are going to leave the house and go to school and go and hang out with their friends, and they are going to hear these messages. And they're so always we, listening. They are always <laughs> listening. They are. And yeah. it's true, you know. If I think back, you know. <clears throat> Uh, Adele for example you know there was a story recently where she'd lost a a significant amount of weight but the amount of column inches dedicated to her and then even after you know we'd known this for a month still more stories about the fact that she'd lost so so much weight and that definitely reflects the conversations that people are having inside their homes so even if you're just having a coffee with a friend and you're talking about this the children are being impacted that somehow Adele is a better person for having lost all that weight you know no recognition of the fact that she still got the most amazing voice she always did or even you know that some celebrity looks you know has has got their body back two weeks after delivering that's just insinuating that that somehow makes them a better parent and a better human being whereas what better than the woman that takes a year to you know to get her pre-pregnancy body or never you know it is all I can see how these little conversations are so in you know they shape our children because our children are shaped by their experiences they are. And, and I think the thing is with kids is that the adults who are often around kids are the most important people in their lives, whether it's a teacher or a parent or a grandparent or an auntie or uncle, like we are their role models. We're their heroes. They respect and value our opinions and they want to be accepted by us. That's all. All of us have a human desire and a human need to feel accepted. And if we feel that we're not accepted, particularly by the most important people in our lives, that has an incredibly harmful and damaging long-term consequences, not just for our body image, but our overall health and well-being and mental health and how we show up in the world outside of our home and later on how we form connections and relationships. And even if you're not talking about your own child's body, you need to be aware that children are picking up these messages and they, you know, if they hear that one type of body is better than another and even if they don't have that type of body, they're either going to be feeling like they need to kind of continue to keep their body in check or they're going to feel like their body is wrong or they might even, and I think this is also something that we really need to be mindful of, they might then learn to internalise and share your views and then go out into the playground and do harm to another child whose body doesn't look or function like their own. And for me, that's really important because 
neither of my children are higher weight. They're both thin. They're both white. They're both non-disabled kids. They are, you know, they, they fit that quote unquote kind of body ideal as far as it goes, you know. Um, but I, I, I want them to be able to go out and advocate for other kids whose bodies are different to their own. And I certainly don't want them to go into the playground and do harm to these kids because they've learned that actually it's okay to, you know, make a judgment about a person based on the way that they look. Um, so I think like just generally, it's not just if you want your own kids to feel good about themselves, although that is super important. It's also about raising good humans who treat other people with kindness and acceptance and respect. Well, I mean, it's it's really up there with any kind of discrimination, <clears throat> you know, presuming someone is a worse person based on their body mass index is no, you know, better than presuming someone is a worse person based on the colour of their skin or whether or not they have a disability or their socioeconomic status. It's it's all prejudice. And yet it's not really classified often as that. It's almost sort of permissible because, you know, it's perceived as something that you've got yourself into, therefore you have to get it yourself out of it. But I can see absolutely mm. how, how damaging that is. I mean, in a way, you know, we should really think about dress sizes like a shoe size you know not like it's better to be a size 10 than a size 14 it's just the way you are I mean obviously sort of um no I'm going to take that back you know it is it is simply a size Mm. and I think also I just think we could all eat exactly the same food and we could all move our bodies in exactly the same way but because of body diversity we are always going to have diverse range of body sizes and some people are naturally higher weight because of lots of different reasons and and there are over a hundred different factors that influence our weight it's not just about our genetics although that impacts it it's also about the food environment that we live in the socioeconomic background that we have mental health then plays a part in you know like all of this stuff as well um and eating disorders as well we have this idea that people who suffer with disordered eating or eating disorders look a certain way or very thin but actually we know that you can be higher weight and suffer with an eating disorder as well so there are so many different things we need to bear in mind and when it comes to kind of body shape there are a lot of things that influence our body shape which are actually outside of our control so for some people if you are naturally um a thin person you you might assume that you're that shape because you work out a lot and you eat you know like loads of vegetables and and you have but actually you don't know that that if you had if you were born in a different if you were born in a different family and you had different genetics you might still do all these behaviors but your body might look a different way because body diversity exists it's you know it's what keeps us going as a species we're not all meant to look the same mm-hmm. And what if, I mean, I know there'll be people listening whose children are sort of 12, 13, 14, and they might well rethink, you know, how they talk about body image as a result of this conversation. But also we're not always in control of the, the conversations our children are exposed to. How can we repair? So say you do have a friend who comes and endlessly talks about Adele and constantly talking about her own weight, and you think, God, I wish my the children didn't have to hear that. How do we repair that kind of conversation, that potential damage? I think just being really honest with our children also about that we don't always have to have the answers. So for me, it's about having 
and always having like an open dialogue. So like, for example, I often find myself in situations where I'm inadvertently praising someone's weight loss because I don't want to be rude. Because like, for example, we went for a walk the other day as a family, bumped into a neighbour that I haven't seen for ages. And he, because it, it's, it's such a normalised thing. We chat about diets just in the same way that we chat about the weather. He was like, yep, I'm on my lockdown walk, losing weight. And I was like, I kind of panicked in the moment. It was like, well done, because <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't want to be rude. Afterwards, I said to my daughter, me and my 10-year-old, we were walking next to each other, and I just said, I just panicked in that moment. I don't think that. I don't think that weight loss is something, or changing your body in any way is something that we need to praise. It's not. It's 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 the least interesting thing about him as a person. Um, well, the but, doctor can praise it. If the doctor's like, you are a healthier weight, and you know you deserve to be positive about yourself, but it's not nothing more than medical. Yeah, and it's not something that I even want to, like, even want to factor in it's not even a conversation that I even want to have but I found myself doing that because in that moment I was you know I'm a human being and uh, you know social pressures and all of that kind of stuff but we just had a really honest conversation about it and she was like no I understand sometimes I say stuff that I don't necessarily mean and I you know so I think that just having an open conversation accepting that we don't always need to know the answers and Raising children who are curious and inquisitive and who are able to like decode some of these conversations, whether it's, you know, something they see on social media, I mean, it's media literacy, right? So whether it's something they see on social media or on television or in a magazine or on TikTok or whatever, giving them the skills to be able to kind of question that. And the same goes for, you know, a conversation that they overhear from an adult or if they receive, you know, a lesson in school that maybe, you know makes that could be problematic just giving them the skills to kind of okay what's another perspective what could another perspective in this situation be um and I think it's actually quite exciting the idea as a parent of learning alongside your child so you don't need to have all this stuff figured out you can learn together and you can have these conversations together and sometimes you might find that your children have a lot to teach you in the conversation that you know I know that I I, I've learned a lot from my own children when I've been exploring these subjects. And um, and I think that it's good for kids to see as well that parents don't always have all the answers and that we're allowed to change our mind about stuff. You know, it's it's a positive thing to be able to... We don't have to just because we think one thing today doesn't mean that we always have to think that thing, you know, as we learn more and more and we get exposed to more and more information and research comes out, we are allowed to change our minds. And it's one of the the most important skills to teach our children to be open to different perspectives and not be afraid to go. I used to think that thing, but now I think it's slightly differently. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that is then a really positive way to look at it, because I don't want people to like listen to this conversation, be like, oh, my gosh, I've done everything wrong. Oh, I'm doing it all wrong. Actually, it's never too late to start, you know, being inquisitive about this stuff and exploring this stuff and it's never too late to start having these conversations with your kids and even if your children are grown-up teenagers and you are worried that you've done you know you've somehow created some kind of harmful environments that they've grown up in just sitting down having a chat about okay I've learned I've been really learning about this subject and I think that maybe I'm changing my mind about some of the things that we've talked about in the past um should we learn about it together should we go and should, how about we both go and listen to this podcast episode and then we have a chat about it afterwards or read this book or watch this film mm, absolutely and then I mean presumably I think as British people we find this quite difficult but telling people to shut up telling people to say 
you know, I've become better at this too, you know, calling people out and saying that's just not an acceptable way to talk in front of my children. You know, I hate to say it, but, you know, I know some people, older generation generally, who will say, I think, really inappropriate things and say, for me to say, even if I'm a guest at their house, to say, I'm really uncomfortable with what you just said. I just, I don't think we should be having this conversation in front of the children. But it's difficult to do, isn't it? It is really difficult to do. And I'm definitely I mean I'm I have like real people pleasing tendencies so I want to like I don't want to ever upset someone or hurt their feelings but at the same time my children are the most important thing and I don't want them being exposed to conversations that might be harmful to them so I have had to have difficult conversations with people who are really close to me you know people who I love and respect And that can be hard. But what I find is that you don't need to get into a big, um, you don't need to get into a big debate. Because what can happen is as you start to learn about this subject, you can almost get angry because you're like, oh my gosh, this has been going on and I didn't even realise. And then you can kind of want to convert everyone around you and make them aware of what this, you know, hugeness of this subject. But actually... People, you have to meet people where they're at. And if people aren't ready to listen, they're not going to listen. You're just going to end up making them even more, push them even more the other way. So coming at it from a place of these people just want the best for your kids. And if they're grandparents, for example, they probably really, you know, they really love your kids. They would hate to think that they might inadvertently be causing harm by having these conversations. So just gently making them aware that, you know, when you say that, it it could be harmful that you know it the children could hear this and i know that you love them we don't need to necessarily talk about why but can you just please think about the way the language that you use when you're talking about this subject or maybe we could just not talk about it you know around the children um and just kind of being gentle and maybe if they are interested in learning why you can learn with them together and they can be part of the conversation too i suppose you can also revisit the conversation with your children and just say listen you know, I actually wanted, what did you think about what that person said? And do you think it might have made someone like this? You know, you can almost sort of, you know, think back and say, you know, I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to say anything at the time. But let's talk about how we feel in an in an open environment. Yeah, exactly. And kind of giving our kids the skills to maybe because they are going to get these messages at some point. So it's all about building resilience, but then also giving them the skills to maybe advocate for other children so that they can also be part of changing the culture. So some of these messages aren't going to come at at them quite so, you know, quite so aggressively as well. Absolutely. Um, When do you think children start becoming aware of their body image? Like what age? So we don't know... In terms of the research, we don't know exactly the age that they kind of wake up and they're aware that they have a body image. But we do know that like children who are toddlers can recognise their own reflection in the mirror and they can realise that that reflection is them. But it's also not, you know, it's not like a different person. We know that children, you know, as young as sort of 12 to 18 months can start to be aware that they are different, you know, be aware of differences. So whether it's gender differences or recognising that they look different, you know, and and also being more attracted to playing with peers that maybe look similar to them or people who they identify with. And we know, heartbreakingly, there was a study that showed that children as young as three years old are now starting to say that their body is wrong or that they need to go on a diet. That was a study, I think, in 2016, a big survey of um, childcare professionals 
professionals who were saying, reporting that they were overhearing some really worrying conversations in preschool among children as young as three years old. So we know that, um, I think that it's never too early to learn about this subject. It's never too early to be aware of the importance of language and body image in overall health and well-being. Um, even if your children, even if you're pregnant and you haven't yet had your baby, it's 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 a good time. It's a brilliant time to start learning. <laughs> well, it's a brilliant time to start accepting your body, and again, you know, bucking the trend of of you know what what is considered normal, and just think. God, isn't it amazing what my body's doing? And I might have stretch marks and I might have saggy boobs and whatever else it is, you know, a crinkly tummy after you've given birth. But my God, it did the most amazing thing. Exactly. And our bodies are amazing. Our bodies are incredible. They're allowing us to live, you know, this the life that we live. I find it amazing that we, we've, we've literally got through a global pandemic. We have achieved so much this year. We should be so proud of ourselves for what we've got through and, you know, this collective like trauma that we've experienced together. That should be the focus should be on celebration and feeling gratitude. It shouldn't be on feeling shame or feeling like we're somehow not living up to this perfect ideal or being worried about seeing our friends in June because we might look different. Let's feel excited about seeing our friends because actually if they're going to judge you based on the way you look, are they ever even your friends to start off with, you know? Yeah. And back to the sort of age thing, I always remember with my daughter, she has a quite a large sort of brown birthmark on her arm. And I remember, you know, children with similar birthmarks being teased about that. You know, my generation, in fact, I have a good friend who's got a birthmark on his leg and he always used to get teased that it looked like diarrhea had dribbled down his leg. And he sort of he really, of course, it's going to traumatise you. And I thought, I do not want her to think badly of this birthmark and when she was about seven I said what's the favorite part of your body and she said it's my birthmark because I'm the only one in the world that has it and I felt so proud actually that I'd never sort of sat down and had a conversation with her about this birthmark but I remember saying to her it's it's how I know you are you it's your very special mark and you know that seems to have got through hopefully it will it will endure into the sort of what can be very cruel sort of teenage years but I love the fact that she's starting out as a this is amazing and I'm quite sure if anyone did say why have you got that funny splodge on your arm she'll say well with pride it's my birthmark and that will you know make her less of a, a target for someone that might want to bully her as a, for, for that Exactly. And also it might make her more able to advocate for another child who's getting bullied and make her feel more confident to stand up for them and challenge that kind of behaviour as well. So it's an amazing, a really positive skill that you're giving her there and really important one. Oh, well, Molly, thank you. This has been so interesting. Honestly, it's, it's our conversation has really, um, since we first started talking about this, it's something that I've really spent a lot of time thinking over. And I'm really grateful that uh, you got in touch and um, sent me the book. So your book, Body Happy Kids, How to Help Children and Teens Love the Skin They're In, is um, out now. It's a really great read. It's really easy to read and I think will just help sort of shape your perspective. So um, do pick that up. Molly, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Um, and thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you've got this podcast from. You can also follow me. I'm on Instagram at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Molly and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.